Hello and welcome to day two of ULAR 2023. My name is Sofia Ramiro. I'm a consultant rheumatologist and senior researcher at Zouderland Medical Center and at Leiden University Medical Center. In this podcast, I would like to review what I think are some of the key sessions and abstracts of interest from the CSF perspective relating to RA, PSA, and actual SPA. There are some great, great sessions today covering a wide range of topics and data. I hope you find this pod podcast both interesting and informative. So starting with rheumatoid arthritis, Thursday features a wide array of posters on JAK inhibitors. I'll be highlighting four posters reviewing data for tofacitinib, baricitinib, upadacitinib and filgotinib, so one on each on the, uh, of the JAK inhibitors, which all add to our knowledge base of these therapies already approved for the use in RA. So the first paper uh, that I want to highlight is an abstract by Shingle et al. called uh, Impact of JAK Inhibitors Tofacitinib on Cardiovascular Risk in RA, JAK Inhibitor Cardiovascular Risk Impact Study. There are a lot of interesting things that can be said about this abstract. And uh, we all know that endothelial dysfunction is a key promoter of cardiovascular disease, and it is a barometer for cardiovascular health and a seminal target for reduced cardiovascular risk in RA. This study, interestingly, aimed to prospectively investigate the impact of tofacitinib on cardiovascular risk in active RA uh, through measuring by measuring the endothelial dysfunction. And the authors conclude that tofacitinib improves endothelial dysfunction and cardiovascular risk in active RA. I think that especially in the context of the recent findings of oral surveillance, in which patients on tofacitinib had more major adverse cardiovascular events compared to patients on TNF inhibitors, as, as you are all aware, it is important to get more insight into the impact of tofacitinib and JAK inhibitors in general on cardiovascular outcomes. Are JAK inhibitors harmful or are they more harmful or do they protect less against an unfavorable cardiovascular outcomes than TNF inhibitors? In this abstract, an improvement of endothelial dysfunction can point in the direction of JAK inhibitors still showing protective effect against cardiovascular events. So it's worth uh, visiting this poster. Um, and the next uh, poster that I, I think you should view is from Foshar and colleagues entitled Baricitinib versus TNF inhibitors in patients with active rheumatoid arthritis and inadequate response to CIT. CSD marks 12 weeks results of a pragmatic multicenter open label non-inferiority trial. So this trial aimed uh, at demonstrating non-inferiority and when it's shown then to demonstrate superiority of a three to target strategy in, in, in which uh, patients with RA that are refractory to CSD marks that are subsequently treated with baricitinib are compared to TNF inhibitors. Patients had a disease duration of less than five years and no contraindications to biological or targeted synthetic DMARDs. They were seen at baseline and at uh, 12 weeks, uh, 12 weekly and until a final follow-up at uh, 48 weeks uh, where patient reported outcomes were collected and full uh, clinical assessment was made at each visit. And the primary endpoint was the non-inferiority of baricitinib compared to TNF inhibitors and in the proportion of patients achieving us ACR 50 at week uh, 12. And the authors conclude that uh, paracetinib was found to be non-inferior and even 
superior to TNF inhibitor in terms of the ACR50 at week 12. So head-to-head -head studies are uh, very informative and, and that's what we would like to have in the current area of multiple uh, treatment options. Um, and non-inferiority trials arise as an attractive and efficient alternative to the traditional superiority trials. This trial has demonstrated non-inferiority of baricitinib compared to TNF inhibitor and also its superiority. This is on the one hand very informative for clinicians, on the other hand, we have to acknowledge that the trial was not blinded and the outcomes, the mainly the pri also the primary endpoint ACR50 involves subjective components. So I think we have to interpret the findings of these studies, though very important uh, to our field, especially being a head-to-head -head trial, also takes taking into account that uh, the trial was uh, not blinded. And now we can move to the third poster that I would like to discuss entitled Safety Profile of Upadacitinib Up to Six and a Half Years of Exposure in Patients with Rheumatoid Arthritis by Cohen and colleagues. Now, the aim of this study was to describe the long-term integrated safety profile of upadacitinib relative to active comparators in patients with moderate to severe active RA in the phase three select clinical program. Safety data were pulled and analyzed from six RCTs Treatment emergent adverse events and adverse events of special interest were summarized. Uh, pulled upadacitinib 50 milligram once daily uh, data was uh, used from six trials, from methotrexate from one trial, and from adalimumab 40 milligram every other week also from one trial. The treatment emergent adverse events were defined as adverse events with an onset after the first dose and at least 30 days of UPA or methotrexate, or at least 70 days or uh, within the first 70 days of the uh, uh, map. And, and the reported uh, as adverse event uh, rates uh, over the 100 uh, patient, for, for, per 100 patient years. And now to the conclusion, this abstract found no new safety risks identified up to six and a half years of exposure to upadacitinib. This abstract brings us again the hot topic of safety of JEC inhibitors. Long-term extension of trials are not in informative as the trial as a trial like oral surveillance, uh, but that's also because usually long-term extensions uh, usually lack an active comparator. Interestingly, here we have a, a comparator and actually an active comparator with adalimumab and with relatively long-term data on that treatment arm and patients are still on follow-up. So for now, this uh, is reassuring data on the safety profile of upadacitinib and this trial allows us throughout follow-up to also learn more about uh, the safety uh, profile, especially in, compared, in comparison with uh, adalimumab. And now we move to the fourth JAK inhibitor and the final highlight of the day on RA entitled Safety and Efficacy of Filgotinib, an update from the Darwin III Phase II long-term extension with a maximum of uh, 8.2 years of exposure by Hanave Westhovens and colleagues. And as important background of this presentation in the Darwin I and II parent studies, patients uh, received filgotinib in co combination with methotrexate or filgotinib monotherapy respectively. And the study provides an update to Darwin 3, which is the long-term extension to assess the safety and efficacy of 200 milligram filgotinib in RA patients 
with an inadequate response to methotrexate and with a maximum exposure of uh, 8.2 years. Patients experiencing treatments uh, emerging adverse events were reported using the safety analysis set and data from both the parent and the long-term extension studies are, was reported. Efficacy was assessed from a long-term extension baseline using ACR 20, 50, and 70, and thus 28 CRP up to 264 weeks. And among several insightful conclusions, the authors reported that the felgotinib safety profile is similar between the background methotrexate and monotherapy treatment arms, and both arms so sustained efficacy over time. So sustained efficacy over time is always what we're looking for in long-term extensions, and it was accomplished in this trial. Safety is even more important in long-term extensions, and it gained a particular focus in studies with the uh, JAK inhibitors, so certainly worth uh, visiting. And now we move to PSA, and I have two posters of interest to highlight today in PSA. Um, Xenophon Baraliakos reviews the performance of BASDAI versus ASDAS in evaluating actual involvement in patients with PSA treated with uh, guzelcumab. And Dennis McGonagall uh, and colleagues examine individual enthesial points and the frequency of involvement and impact on PROs in patients with the PSA. So starting with the first poster by Xenophon Baradiakos, uh, the performance of BASDAI compared to ASDAS in patients with actual involvement with PSA, data from uh, trials with the uh, Gozecomab. As, as we know, uh, the ASDAS excludes uh, the item on uh, emphysitis, which gives less weight to peripheral activity as compared to, to BASDAI, at the same time is, concerned, is considered more objective than the BASDAI, also due to in, the inclusion of the CRP uh, in, in the index. So this study aimed at comparing the performance of BASDAI and ASDAS in patients with the actual PSA. The DISCOVER 1 and 2 trials were used, data were pulled across treatment groups, and BASDAI and ASDAS uh, were uh, tested along with modified versions and the modified versions of each of the instruments excluded the questions on peripheral arthritis that each of them has. The correlation between the BASDAI and the ASDAS or their modified versions with uh, score joint, with uh, swollen joint count, tender joint count, emphysitis, and further patient reported outcomes was assessed. And in conclusion, the authors report that BASDAI and ASDAS perform comparably in assessing uh, activity of actual disease in, in PSA patients. So in interesting uh, study, and as all studies on actual um, PSA that are now coming several, it's a hot topic in the field. There's, they suffer a bit from lack of uh, clarity on how the disease is defined because we don't have yet consensus in the field. So in this study, we have uh, imaging of the uh, SI joints that was used to, to define uh, the cases, which is very positive. Uh, but uh, whether actual SPA really exists as a separate entity or whether is it uh, similar to actual SPA that we do not know yet. A lot of research is ongoing in this area and we should learn more about it in the uh, upcoming months and years. So it's good to stay tuned uh, with developments in this area. And it's also good to know about the performance of these instruments for our daily clinical practice. 
I want to also spotlight a PSA poster by Dennis McGonagall and colleagues entitled Individual Enthesial Points Have Differential Frequency of Involvement and Impact on Patient Reported Outcomes in Patients with Active Psoriatic Arthritis. As objectives, uh, the authors uh, aimed at uh, describing the distribution of affected enthesial points in patients with active polyarticular PSA and to evaluate the impact of anatomical location of enthesitis and Leeds enthesitis index score on patient reported pain, patient global assessment, and functional status. Also to compare the time to resolution of each enthesial point following the treatment with the guzalcumab. In conclusion, the authors report that uh, Achilles tendon insertion was the most commonly affected enthesial point and more highly associated with worse patient reported pain patient global assessment, and also functional status. So I, I think it's always good when we can identify our daily clinical practice with the data being presented. And that's what happens with this uh, abstract here with me. And I, I think you can also recognize this. Achilles enthesitis remains disabling for our patients, deserves attention in daily clinical practice. And that's a reason to visit this poster. And finally, we switch to focus uh, on actual SPA, where I, first, I want to first spotlight the presentation, the hot session by Desiree van der Heide on the topic of management of actual and peripheral spondyloarthritis in 2023 at quarter past 11. And this pr presentation promises to be a useful uh, session, a useful overview on management of the disease for daily clinical practice. And for uh, actual SPA, we also have a poster by Anna Molto reporting data from the DISIR cohort uh, entitled Low Rate Switching from Non-Radiographic Actual SPA to Radiographic Actual SPA after two years of follow-up in early actual SPA. And previous evidence suggests that radiographic progression occurs slowly in the sacroiliac joints of patients with actual SPA and that bone marrow edema on the MRI on the sacroiliac joints can explain at least in part such progression. So information about the long-term course of radiographic structural damage at the uh, sacroiliac joints is, is still scarce in, is scarce in these patients. So that, that was the objective of this uh, study to evaluate the proportion of patients switching from non-radiographic to radiographic actual SPA after 10 years of follow-up and also to assess whether the BME on MRI of the SI joints at baseline is associated with the status of radiographic actual SPA, so modified New York criteria fulfillment over time. And in conclusion, uh, Anna and colleagues report that patients with uh, early actual SPA have a low likelihood of changing from non-radiographic to radiographic actual SPA over 10 years, especially when considering the use of anti-TNF. And this is, I think, a finding that I consider quite interesting because we have here an inception cohort, patients are included uh, since the diagnosis. We have a 10-year follow-up, which is very valuable to understand the course of the disease nowadays. While, of course, it's not the natural course, but the course in treated patients, because we obviously treat our patients. And it seems like the progression of damage is low and may be coming lower over time. Maybe we are here yet again seeing an indirect effect of identifying our patients early and treating them uh, early. So don't uh, miss this poster. And this brings us uh, to the end of uh, this overview. So thank you for listening. 
And I hope you're looking forward to day two of Fuller 2023, another busy day as usual. You can also download our Euler 2023 preview brochures from cytokinesignaling.com to see the abstracts that we've selected for you for the whole Congress. Please join us tomorrow where Professor Lorenzo Dagna will discuss the highlights for day three. Thank <laughs> you.